Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Do Hongyu. Coming up in this edition, former U.S. President Donald Trump's eldest son takes witness stand in a civil fraud trial. Authorities in Gaza say Israeli airstrikes on a refugee camp have killed nearly 200 people, and South Sudan's president is urging the Sudanese army and the paramilitary RSF to return to the terms of the 2020 Juba peace agreement. We start from North America. Donald Trump Jr., the former U.S. president's eldest son, has denied any involvement in the financial practices of his father's company in a $250 million civil fraud case. He's also a co-defendant in the case, along with his father and brother Eric. The lawsuit accuses Donald Trump, his eldest sons, and other top executives of conspiring to inflate the former president's net worth. The civil fraud trial is one of several legal troubles Donald Trump faces. He's also under limited gang order, barring him from speaking publicly about court stuff in the case. Nathan King reports. The Trump organization has always been a family affair, and so it is this week in a New York courtroom in a civil fraud trial. Donald Trump Jr. was the first of four Trumps to take the witness stand. His testimony taking place Wednesday, while his brother Eric and sister Ivanka. Are due to testify in the coming days, as is Donald Trump himself. It's a case that, while not criminal, could see the Trump family's property empire being banned from doing business in New York State and being fined up to $250 million. At issue, whether the Trump organization fraudulently inflated the value of its properties to secure more favorable loan terms from banks. The former president has appeared in court several times. And publicly denied any wrongdoing, saying the case is victimless. The state argues that by overvaluing Trump properties, banks lost tens of billions of dollars in revenue and shouldered hidden risks. Many former Trump business associates have testified against him and his family. Trump has frequently criticized the judge in the case and others, leading to a gag order and thousands of dollars in fines. He recently stormed out of the courtroom, angered over a fine. The judge has already issued a summary judgment in the case, agreeing largely with the prosecutors that Trump and his associates are liable for fraud. Trump, who has long prided himself on his New York properties like the iconic Trump Tower, faces losing control of the buildings that made him famous and secured his reputation as a billionaire businessman that fueled his successful bid for the White House in 2016. This case may not be as perilous personally to Donald Trump as other cases he's facing here in Washington D.C., Georgia, and Florida. Those cases, if he is convicted, could leave him with prison time. But this case threatens something much closer to Trump: his wealth, his reputation, and his self-image. An image that has been the most tangible asset that Trump has traded on his entire life. That was Nathan King on the legal woes facing former U.S. President Donald Trump. Staying in the U.S., the Federal Reserve has kept its key short-term interest rates unchanged for a second straight time, but it's left the door open for further rate hikes if inflationary pressures accelerate in the months ahead. Benji Hire reports. 
So, no change. A pause again by officials in the nation's capital. Following 11 straight rises from March of last year, interest rates will stay between 5.25 and 5.5%. That's where they've been since July 2023. The Federal Open Market Committee, waiting to see if its strategy to contain inflation is working, before it considers tightening monetary policy even more. Its decision, a unanimous one, to maintain current rates comes at a delicate time for the US economy and global financial markets. There's war in the Middle East, warnings of renewed oil price volatility, and we've seen a recent bond market sell-off, all of these complicating the outlook. The range of uncertainties, as Jerome Powell calls them, means further action could well be warranted if there's new evidence that a fall in prices is in fact stalling. Inflation has dropped from a 40-year high of over 9% to just shy of 4%. Yet that's still double the bank's 2% target. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. Inflation's been driven largely by what the Fed says is solid growth. GDP accelerating almost 5% in the third quarter, a strong pace, the Fed says, with consumer spending far more resilient than expected and unemployment historically low. Policymakers, in a statement that they put out on Wednesday, recognising that increasing rates down the line, were they to choose to do that, would likely weigh on economic activity. In other words, it could dampen that growth. That was Benji Heyer in Washington. Moving on to the Middle East, authorities in Gaza say two days of Israeli airstrikes on the Jabalia refugee camp have killed nearly 200 civilians, with another 120 missing in the rubble. Israel says the strikes have killed another Hamas commander who was in charge of the anti-tank missile unit. The United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights says Israeli attacks on the Jabalia camp may amount to war crimes. Palestinian health officials say the fighting has killed over 8,800 people on their side since October the 7th, while Israel has so far reported 1,400 deaths. Meanwhile, over 320 foreign passport holders in Gaza and dozens of severely injured Gaza residents have entered Egypt through the Rafah border crossing. Sam Metnik reports from Jerusalem. On Wednesday, it said it struck 300 objects many of them underground Hamas tunnels that it hit. It said it also took out another key Hamas commander. This commander was in charge of all of the anti-tank missiles in the Gaza Strip. And for the second day in a row, it hit again the Jabalia refugee camp. This is on the outskirts of Gaza City, which Israel is encroaching upon. Videos seen by the Associated Press show rescuers searching through the rubble for survivors. One of the videos shows two men coming out of a damaged building with what appears to be the shape of two children. It was unclear if the children were alive or dead. Israel has defended this action and said that it doesn't mean to take down those buildings, but that Hamas is using this area to using the area underneath it for their operations. 
as the ground offensive expands and escalates, Israel said that it too is losing people. As of Wednesday, it said that it has lost 11 soldiers. Foreign nationals have been able to leave Gaza through this Rafah border crossing into Egypt. The Palestinian Crossing Authority said that six buses with more than 300 foreign passport holders were able to leave on Wednesday. This is the only crossing currently open for people to go through. It's unclear if it will continue to be open in the coming days. In addition to the foreign nationals who were able to leave, Egypt said that it would take 80 severely injured Palestinians that it would be willing to help. But for everybody else, the some 2 million people who are in Gaza, the humanitarian situation is catastrophic. The Ministry of Health, which is run by Hamas, said that nearly 1.5 million people have been internally displaced. On Wednesday, the telecommunications were disrupted again for the second time in five days, which made it hard for aid groups to bring assistance to people and to find out where people were. And while the Israelis have told Palestinians to move from the north where their operations are taking place to the south, the United Nations says that hundreds of thousands of people are still sheltering in hospitals, in schools, and in other facilities. People are running out of food, they're running out of water, and critically, they're running out of fuel. I spoke to one aid official who said that medical staff are having to choose, because of the lack of fuel, they're having to choose who to help and who not to help. And in some cases, that means who should live and who should die. That was Sam Metnick reporting. Regional powers Iran and Turkey have held talks on the ever-growing hostilities in the Middle East. Their foreign ministers stressed the need to contain the conflict. Mihal Badovit has more. Turkish Foreign Minister Hakan Fidan welcomed his Iranian counterpart Hossein Amir Abdullahian in the Turkish capital of Ankara. Abdullahian's visit follows his trip to Qatar, where he met with Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh. The main topic on the agenda of the talks was the ongoing fighting between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. The two leaders held a joint press conference following their meeting, where they both made some warnings about the potential spread of the conflict in the region. The two leaders also stressed the need for a two-state solution for an immediate ceasefire and added that a regional peace conference would be significant in preventing the spread of the conflict. During his visit to Turkey, the Iranian foreign minister also met with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. It was also noted that the Iranian president would soon be visiting Turkey as well. That was Mihal Badovit. In Africa, fighting between the Sudanese army and the paramilitary rapid support forces is approaching its seventh month with no ending sight. Neighboring South Sudan's president has urged both parties to return to the terms of the 2020 Juba peace agreement. Salva Kiir made the remarks after a four-day meeting of signatories to the 2020 deal aimed at resolving Sudan's unrest. Wang Jamongai has details. Following the meeting in South Sudan's capital of Juba, attendees called upon those involved in the ongoing conflict in Sudan to contribute to restoring peace and security in the country. They said it was time for serious and meaningful talks between all parties. Prior to the media briefing, the parties held a series of meetings running across four days. They focused on the Juba Peace Agreement that was signed on October 3, 2020. The deal aimed at installing a transitional government in the run-up to elections. However, following a coup spearheaded by Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, the transition government was hijacked. In April, a major conflict erupted between the Sudanese armed forces led by Arbohan and a paramilitary group known as the Rapid Support Forces. The signatories of the Juba Peace Agreement have taken different sides in this conflict. Meanwhile, representatives of the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces have been meeting for more peace talks in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. 
The negotiations are spearheaded by the United States and Saudi Arabia and are mediated by the African Union, IGAD and the East African Community. That was Wang Jamungai on Sudan conflict. Finally, in Europe, digital officials, tech company leaders and researchers have converged near London to discuss the risks posed by cutting-edge artificial intelligence. On Wednesday, leading AI countries, including China and the U.S., agreed to the Batchley Declaration calling for a safer and more responsible development of artificial intelligence. China's representative to the summit said the country wanted to work with international partners to manage the oversight of artificial intelligence. Here's John Bevier with the details. This summit has been looking at what is known as uh, frontier AI. So this is AI of the future. Uh, and this is what people are concerned about. They are trying to establish what the risks could be and how they can uh, mitigate to stop them. Uh, so this declaration acknowledges that there is the potential for serious, even catastrophic harm, either deliberate or unintentional. So this really is the world trying to catch up to say uh, that they realize that AI, as well as offering huge potential benefits could also create problems. We could have AI uh, being used by so-called bad actors, by hackers, by terrorists in order uh, to maybe spread misinformation for, uh, for one uh, example that's been highlighted here. So this declaration is very much focused on um, international uh, collaboration, the community coming together, everyone realizing that AI isn't constrained by national boundaries. So this needs to be a global solution to what some are worried could be a global problem. China uh, very present here as well today. Uh, the Chinese representative said that uh, AI governance was a common task uh, faced by humanity and only with joint efforts of the international community can we assure AI technologies safe and reliable development. That was John Bevier on the AI Safety Summit in Britain. Before we go, here's a recap of today's headlines. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's eldest son has taken a witness stand in a civil fraud trial in New York. Authorities in Gaza say Israeli airstrikes on a refugee camp have killed nearly 200 civilians. And South Sudan's president has urged the Sudanese army and the paramilitary RSF to return to the terms of the 2020 Juba peace agreement. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Do Hongyu. Thank you for listening.